Hello, everyone. Welcome to Circling the Bases. My name is Chris Crawford. Hope everyone had a good weekend. Hope everyone enjoyed the draft this weekend. As a Seahawks fan, I am a little flabbergasted because I actually liked what the Seahawks did in the draft for a first time, probably since really that Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner draft outside of taking a running back a little too early. Me and my good friend Roto Pat had a nice discussion about that one. But NFL draft weekend is always fun because, you know, you get the draft, you get baseball, you get NBA playoffs. We're coming up on NHL playoffs. It's a fun time to be a sports fan. Uh, Just as a reminder, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to check out our live recordings. You can also view the replays of those on YouTube and Twitch Just search NBC Sports Edge in either and you will find the good stuff. So this is going to be like last week, but I'm going to incorporate a little bit of the previous weeks too. We're going to focus on three prospects that are performing well. I'm going to answer your questions and I've got some really good ones this week. And then I'm also going to go over my top three fantasy prospects for the remainder of the year. And of course, you can check out that entire list on Monday morning. It will be up for your reading enjoyment but let's get into it so the first prospect i wanted to talk to you about was a kid named brian ramos the second baseman for the chicago white Sox. totally understandable if you haven't heard of him Um, not a guy who came into the year with a ton of hype but at the high a level this year and this is 78 plate appearances so this is no longer a super small sample size he's hitting 403 449 653 Four homers, hasn't stolen a base, and we'll get into that in just a second, but those are exceptional numbers. Uh, a kid who signed uh, not a, with a lot of fanfare back in 2018, was a July 2nd player, but uh, signed for right around $300,000, made his pro debut that year, and has uh, put up some okay numbers, a OPS of 768 in his first season, 760 in his second season. That's, you know, nothing to write home about, but he was a guy that kind of flashed in those time frames, like you could tell that this was a player that belonged near the top 10 of their prospect list. Now, some of that is a little bit darning with faint parries just because the White Sox system is not one of the better ones in baseball, but clearly picking up the baseball well right now. Um, those are really impressive numbers. Uh, you're looking at a skill set here of above average hit. I think he's got a chance to get to plus power. He's really starting to fill out a six foot two, 190 pound frame. Wouldn't shock me if he was a 25 to 30 homer guy. Good arm strength should play just fine at third base. There's a chance that he could end up being a second baseman, which would be beneficial for fantasy because there's more value in that up the middle player than a hot corner player, but certainly has a chance to be fantasy relevant if he's at either spot in the infield. Not a great defender. Concern here is that if he's at second base, he's not going to steal a ton of bases. So the power is going to have to max out. But this is a guy I'd start thinking about for Dynasty Leagues because he's clearly tapping into the upside. It's worth pointing out that he just turned 20 in March and already in high A, which is perfectly fine for uh, the developmental stage. And in fact, I would say he's actually ahead of the curve a little bit. Really impressed. Talked to some scouts about him that they have been very impressed with what he's done so far as well, which is always nice to hear when it matches up. Uh, I would say you'd have to be playing in a deeper league right now to add him to the roster, but a lot of you are as we're getting more and more dynasty heavy and your dynasty teams start looking more like real organizations with a ton of minor league players. Definitely a guy would be looking to roster right now. I would put the ETA at 2024, but you know, again, it's a smaller sample size because we've only played about a month of baseball in the minor leagues right now. 
but the numbers are legit. Uh, definitely a guy. Uh, I'm repeating myself, but that is A-OK because that is what we do on this podcast. But a guy I would certainly be looking to roster, not dropping top 100 prospects or anything like that for him just yet, but a guy that I'm going to start considering for my top 100 list, uh, which, by the way, I update every week for NBC Sports Edge subscribers. The list is updated as prospects get called up and sent down. Once a prospect's called up, I remove them from the list and I add a new name. It is just a fun thing that I don't see a lot of other people doing. In fact, I don't see anyone else doing it, probably for a reason. Everybody else has probably more of a life than I do, but I do think it's a cool thing. And every Tuesday, I drop a prospect positional list uh, item as well. So this week, we'll be focusing on the third baseman. There's some darn good ones this year. Um, so yeah, definitely go to NBC Sports edge.com slash tools to subscribe to that. Uh, next prospect I want to talk to you guys about is a pitcher and his name is Ricky Tiedemann. So this was a third round pick in last year's draft. Um, a player that didn't get a ton of hype um, was kind of liked a little bit as a high school pitcher, but really had no chance to uh, go anywhere, but college um, he has been sensational to open the year and sensational is a bit of an under statement. Now he's playing at a level that is right around his age level two. So that's not something that we have to be too concerned about, but 0.90 ERA, 20 innings pitched, 33 strikeouts against 10 walks, a 0.75 whip as a 19 year old, very impressive numbers. So can the stuff carry over to put up those type of numbers? Well, yes and no, no, he cannot be a guy who has an ERA under one and a whip under 0.8. Obviously, that's not going to happen because baseball is too hard a sport and you have to have Jacob DeGrom times two stuff in order to be able to do that. But this is not just smoke and mirrors. Like, Tiedemann can pitch. This is a guy with a fastball. He's starting to uh, tap into his frame, six foot four, um, 93 to 94 pre-draft, but now more 95 to 97. Has some good RPMs on it, which is nice to see. Uh, his changeup might be his best pitch. Could be a plus offering from a left-hander, and that's always nice to see against those right-handed hitters. Uh, fades away from from those right-handed hitters. Uh, the question mark here is the slider. It's flashed plus, but it is also flashed 40, which is, for those unfamiliar with the 2080 scouting scale, below average. And below average breaking balls, you're putting a lot of pressure on that fastball and change to work to be a starter. Certainly can do it. We, we have seen more and more that you can succeed with two pitches and be a starter in this league just because, you know, we're not seeing guys, you're not asking guys to go six to seven innings. So you might as well just throw your two best pitches. But if you can locate three pitches, definitely something that can be beneficial. Obvious point is obvious. Um, command is just okay, but that's true about most players that are still 19 years old. It is just the nature of the way things go. It's very hard to repeat your delivery and as he gets stronger, I imagine that the command will be closer to average. Right now, it would be well below average. He would struggle to locate his stuff if he was pitching in the majors. Please don't ask 19-year-olds to pitch in the majors. Um, I like Tiedemann a lot. And he's a guy that I think is going to be competing for my top 100 some point soon as well. Got a glowing report from a couple of area scouts not too long ago. Uh, also has terrific terrific lettuce flow, terrific hair. So that is something you you don't have to keep in mind at all, but it is something that's fun. Um, 
I, I really like Tiedemann. I think that he is a guy that I'm looking to, especially in, if, it, if you're playing in an AL-only keeper league, really looking to uh, add him before it's too late. Uh, in a, a redraft league, you know, you if you've got some other younger arms that you're not in love with, adding Tiedemann again above those guys is not something I think that would be a huge mistake. I could absolutely see him being a mid-rotation starter or better. Some of that's going to depend if the projection keeps coming. And again, that slider is going to have to get better because we're not talking about a plus-plus change or a plus-plus fastball. So one of those pitch, if you're going to have two 60s, it's pretty helpful to have a 50. Um, it's very difficult for me to see him being a starter. Could be a nice reliever if that slider doesn't develop. But we're not talking about an elite closer. We'll talk about a guy who might be an elite closer uh, with your questions in a second, by the way. That's what we call a tease in this industry. But yeah, Tiedemann is definitely a guy that I am keeping an eye on. And the other guy I wanted to talk to you about, <laughs> this is a weird one because I'm not usually a fan of talking about guys who are performing well, that are hitting 246 in the Cal League. But I'm going to talk to you about Max Ferguson because we are a fantasy baseball show. And fantasy baseball is something that incorporates something called the stolen base. And Max Ferguson, in 19 games, 19 games, I'm going to repeat that again for the third time, 19 games, has stolen 18 bases. And it's worth pointing out that in 37 games last year, he also stole 15 bases. 246 average, though. However, 420 on base percentage. So the approach with Ferguson is really interesting because it's, it's really interesting is the wrong word for it. It's really good. Uh, this is a kid who was drafted out of Tennessee with the 160th pick. Um, has a has the skill set that you're looking at in your absolute atypical leadoff hitter. Works the count. Uh, looks to go the opposite way with the ball. And then once on base, he's got plus plus speed. He's also a terrific defender at second base. So there's no doubt that he's going to be able to stick at that position. He's a guy that you could look to move to center if that skill set, if you think that's more valuable, if you're the Padres, would play okay. Their arm is just average, but you can get away with an average arm in center field. The problem with Ferguson is we are talking about when he came out of the draft, people were giving him 35 to 40 power grades, which is not good. I think it might be closer to 20. You and I, and assuming the I don't have any Major League Baseball players listening to this podcast, um, if you are, thank you. If you'd like to come on the show, just let me know. Have as many home runs as Max Ferguson does as a professional hitter now. This is 183 at-bats now with zero homers, which is problematic. Not only that, though, he's got all of nine extra base hits. So what you're basically talking about here is the Nick Madrigal skill set but instead of the ability to hit for average, it's really the ability to draw walks and get on base. And that's really interesting in a points league, except for the fact, of course, stolen base guys in points leagues are kind of a, 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 a mixed bag, I think is the best way you could put it. So I can't roster a guy like Ferguson yet, but I think he's someone you have to keep an eye on because he does have that stolen base ability to potentially win you a category. And there are not very many prospects you can say that about. Not very many guys you can say have a chance to be category winners. Um, 
it's extremely, extremely volatile. And the other thing that's a little nerve wracking for me is there's a guy playing in low A who's already 22 years old and will be 23. But if you're talking about wanting to take like the leap of leaps, a Max Ferguson type guy is someone that I got to kind of consider because he has a great chance to be a starter because of his defense. He's a very good defensive player. And, you know, (laughs) a regular who has a chance to steal 30 to 40 bases is someone that I think you have to consider in fantasy leagues. He's also a guy who's going to contribute in, unless you're playing in an OBP league, and I encourage everyone to start playing in OBP leagues because on-base percentage is a much more accurate category to me than uh, batting average categories are. I, I, I get it. It's the way we've always done things. You shouldn't just keep doing things because that's the way that you've always done them. But I got to consider him. If you're playing in a super deep league or an NL only league and you've got big old rosters and you're looking for that guy who can help you win a category, I would just at least keep Mac Ferguson in the back of your mind. Weekends are better with MLB Sunday leadoff coverage presented by Uber Eats. Catch the Chicago White Sox play the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park on Sunday, May 8th at 1130 a.m. Eastern live on NBC and Peacock. To learn more, go to PeacockTV.com slash MLB. Super excited for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. So you've got some really good questions, and I'll start with one. We've got a couple of draft questions, which is a lot of fun. We've still got a couple of months to go, but I don't blame anybody for asking them. Where is Drew Jones going to rank among your top prospects after he's drafted? High. Really, really, really high. Now, some of this has to do with a couple of things. The first and most important thing here is Drew Jones is really good. Uh, For those of you unfamiliar, he's the son of Andrew Jones, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. And this is the most talented high school bat that I think I've seen since Byron Buxton. A chance to hit for average, a huge chance to hit for power, a great chance to steal stolen, to steal bases, a great chance to be a a well above average defensive player. The risks of being a high school bat are obvious. We have seen a lot of these guys work up and become some of the best players in baseball. We have seen many of these players flame out. There's just a lot of player development that has to happen for players this young. But he has a chance to be special, like a very, very special talent. The only reason that he's not a lock to be the first overall pick is because of the way the MLB draft works. This is not like the NFL draft where you are seeing the very best players go at the top of the list. Signability matters. It is just the nature of the business. It is going to be whether or not the Pirates feel like they can uh, work deals with you know, another player and want to add quantity over quality. But the best player on this draft is Drew Jones by a long shot. And then the other thing here is you just take a look at who the other top prospects are right now in baseball. So many of them are going to graduate. I mean, Bobby Witt is pretty close to reaching that point already. Julio Rodriguez will breach that point. Adley Rutschman has a great chance to reach that point. C.J. Abrams, the list kind of goes on and on and on. Um, so you're looking at the the names below that. Francisco Alvarez is probably the best prospect in baseball, right? Uh, when 
everything is done. But I think you could ar- make an argument that Ant- uh, Drew Jones belongs right over that. I will rank him ahead of those three shortstops from the last class. All due respect to Marcelo Mayer, Khalil Watson, and Jordan Lawler, and that's not the order I have them in. It's just the order that I'm naming them in. I'm going to rank him above those. I'm going to rank him above any pitching prospect with all due respect to some very, very good ones like Jack Leiter. I think he's going to rank probably, I would say, borderline lock. He's a top five prospect and he's going to compete with the top two or three. So look, if you're playing in a dynasty league and you have a chance to add Drew Jones to your roster, I think you got to do whatever you can to do it because no, we're not talking about a Wander Franco type talent because there are just so few Wander Franco type talents. And I'm not even sure we're talking about a Bobby Witt Jr. type talent. But it's that right next that right next year. And we're, you know, if you're looking for what he could possibly do, we're looking at a hitter who could hit 280, 30 to 35 homers, steal a similar number of bases hit at or near the top of the order or even be a middle of the order guy. Like he's special. He is clearly the best prospect in this class. Um, The fact that he is a terrific defensive player, not quite his dad, who his dad is probably the best defensive player that I've seen in the outfield. All due respect again to some really, really good ones, but he was just a special, special defensive player. He has a chance to be in that Christian Pache uh, range with the glove, which is Pretty, pretty darn good. But yeah, Drew Jones is going to rank really high. Um, There are some, I have some question marks about the rest of this class. If we're being honest, we'll talk about it more as we get deeper into draft season spelled S Z N. But Drew Jones is not one of the players that I have a question about. Is Matthew Liberatore someone who can help fantasy teams this year or more of a long-term play? I think it's a little bit of both, but I do think Matthew Liberatore has a chance to be fantasy relevant this year. A guy who I have considered putting on my top 10 list several times. Uh, he's always in that also considered area. I'll, I haven't listed him every time, but he's he's a guy that, you know, I'm certainly considering. Uh, he's already thrown 28 in the one-third innings this year, which is kind of crazy just because a lot of starters in the majors haven't thrown that much. Posted a very solid 3.18 ERA. 34 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio, average allowed against is 230, whip of 1.02, very, very solid numbers. Worth pointing out that the offensive numbers in the minors are not very good right now, especially at the higher level baseball stuff. I don't know. I I really don't want to talk about it, to be completely honest, because it just makes me frustrated. Uh, A first round pick. Uh, the if Cardinal fans w- know well that he was traded in the Randy Rosarina deal. I think he's a better real life prospect than he is a pitching pro- uh, fantasy prospect because we're not talking about any plus pitches, but we are talking about four above average pitches and borderline plus plus command plus plus control. What I've seen, I think he can at least reach there. Seems like he's been around for an awful long time, but he's still just 22 years old and won't turn 23 until November. I look at the Cardinals rotation and, you know, outside of Cy Young, Miles Mikolas, <laughs> who, oh my goodness gracious, how good has he been? I see openings there. I do think there is a chance. And, you know, Steven Madsen's obviously locked in and there's some other guys, but I do think there are some openings for him to be a starter in this rotation. I don't think it's service time manipulation per se, 
but I don't necessarily think that that's something that's not being considered. We'll talk about another guy who I do think that's also being considered as well as the, the positional, but it is what it is. Unfortunately, we can't change baseball. I tr- tried very hard. Um, but yeah, I do think he has a chance to help. I, I'm not rostering him yet. I would add him as soon as he does get that call up. And I would imagine at some point the next two to three weeks, June, I would be very surprised if he's still in the minors. But yeah, I, I, th- I do think he has a chance to help. I'm probably rostering guys like Grayson Rodriguez or Shane Boz, who it looks like he's going to come back in June over him. But you know, I, I do think that at some point, Matthew Liberatore has a chance to be a helper. Just keep in mind, though, that this is more of a guy who isn't going to pile up the strikeouts so much as post a nice low whip and get some chances for wins in a horrible, horrible division. Uh, Samad Taylor, worth consideration in a redraft league, would be dropping Kelnick. Well, as a Seattle Mariner uh, apologist, because I want my grandma to have a team to root for baseball or good to be able to watch good baseball, I should say. I think that you are on the right track about looking to drop Kelnick, and I hate saying that. I still have all of the belief that he's going to be a great long-term option. It's He's 22 years old. Baseball is hard. Um, by the way, great to see Julio Rodriguez absolutely mollywop a baseball uh, today. Uh, those hits are going to keep coming. Julio Rodriguez is going to be just fine. And I think Kelnick long-term is going to be just fine, but he is somebody that I would consider – uh, dropping just because I think there's going to be too many ups and downs from that player and doesn't add enough like stolen bases like Julio Rodriguez is going to to make up for it. Uh, as for Samad Taylor, it's an interesting one. Uh, a 23 year old uh, got I believe he was traded in the Joe Smith deal, uh, which was many, many years ago, putting up really solid numbers right now for the Bison. Uh, Looking at it right here, 257 average, which isn't great, but he's getting on at a 396 clip. He's slugging 459. Uh, he's already had three homers, and he's stolen 12 bases. He's, he's an interesting player to me for fantasy. This was, you know, we just talked about Liberator. You know, I think he's ahead uh, in real life compared to fantasy. I think it's actually the opposite here because Taylor can run. I mean, he can really scoot. We're lo- talking about close to plus plus run times here. I like that there's some roster versatility. He's capable of playing second base, and he's also capable of playing all over the outfield. Not a great situation, I think, in Toronto, however. Uh, I don't see an automatic opening here. Uh, I get it if you're chasing the steel stats to uh, that being a player that you would want to consider. It's just hard for me to imagine him being a regular this year, but I think he's someone to keep an eye on long-term and especially if he changes organizations, because I just think Toronto is a terrible place for him right now. I guess there could be an opening as the everyday second baseman, but it's just really difficult for me to see that happening in 2022. Maybe something that happens in 2023, but if he did change organizations and did get that chance to be an outfielder, which is where I think he plays best, I think he does have a chance for fantasy relevancy because I do think he there's the potential for 30 steals here. Gets on base at a decent enough clip to be able to run on a ton of power, but you know, tapping into it a little bit, 15 to 18 homer season wouldn't completely surprise me. But I would be lucky looking to drop Kelnick, and I hate saying that because I think he's a really good kid, and I also think that there is immense 
long-term potential in his left-handed bat, but I just can't count on him for 2022. Uh, how far behind the best catchers is Drew Romo? So he's far behind the best catchers, but I want to be um, very clear here that that is a compliment to the best catchers and not an insult to Drew Romo. We talked about this with Keith Law on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. The catcher position is as good, if not better, than it has ever been. Adley Rutschman, Francisco Alvarez, Diego Cartea, Henry Davis, a ton of just potential borderline fantasy superstars at the position. I mean, that is I, that might seem hyperbolic, but it's not. It There are so many good players at the catcher position, and I can't put Romo in that list. However... I do think Drew Romo is somebody that really needs to be rostered and is certainly a guy to consider as a top 100 prospect, uh, both in fantasy and real life. Not a guy who got, I mean, he was certainly a known prospect when he was drafted by the Rockies. They made him the 35th pick, very rarely the, the 35th pick of a draft, though I can't think of one exception to that. I won't make fun of this team today, but uh, definitely one team that drafted a player right around that high that I had never heard of, and I literally covered the draft for a living. And that player, let's just say, is not uh, in baseball anymore. And this was only a couple of years ago. Uh, Romo is having a very good season. What a tangent that was. I apologize. 30, 342, 384, 500. Hit a couple of home runs for high A Spokane. Also stolen a couple of bases. So the interesting thing here is he stole 23 bases last year. I want everyone to be very, very cautious when you look at stolen bases in the low A levels because of the rule implementation changes, because that is going to make stolen bases skewed and skewed is an understatement. Now, it's possible we could see these rules implemented long term, which would be great, because I think one of the biggest things that is hurting baseball, I, I, I think we make too many changes to a sport we're, we're trying to fix a thing that isn't broke too often but pickoffs are not fun to watch and if you want to take away pickoffs and add more stolen bases to the game which is the most exciting play to me i'm all for it i do think he does have the speed for double digit stolen bases though right around an average to a tick above runner which is not something you see from a ton of catchers just don't expect 23 stolen bases that's just not going to happen what he can do is hit for average. He has a swing that is basically conducive to hitting line drives to every part of the park. Uh, power isn't going to be a huge part of the game, but if he's playing in Colorado, I think it plays up a little bit. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, very good defensive catcher. Some people giving him plus grades already behind the plate. That's huge for a 20-year-old. One of the things I really like about him is that he doesn't strike out. He has struck out 14 times in 76 at-bats this year. He only struck out 50 times in 312 at-bats in 2021 in his first year of professional baseball. So the bat-to-ball skills are elite. I think he has a really high floor. I don't think his ceiling comes close to matching the catchers that we just talked about and a few that I left off here. But I like Robo a lot, and I think he can be their everyday backstop probably by the end of 2024 and providing some fantasy relevance, especially when he is playing in the park that he is in. Okay, this is a fun one. Can Ben Joyce be fantasy relevant? For those of you who aren't on Twitter, one, congratulations. Two, please follow me on Twitter if you are. 
Ben Joyce <laughs> threw a baseball that was clocked at 105.5 miles per hour. Uh, that's not a typo because I'm saying it, so it can't be a typo, but I'm not misspeaking. 105.5 miles per hour. And this is not a guy who uh, just all of a sudden found velocity. This is a player who has been routinely in the 101 to 103 range, a couple of 104s, obviously brought things up. We're recording on Sunday. It just happened about an hour ago. 105 miles per hour. I believe he struck out like 32 batters in 12 innings, which isn't a surprise. Very few. Anybody can catch up to a fastball that uh, that hard. And, you know, uh, certainly has the ability to miss bats. It's not a straight fastball either. I mean, it's it doesn't have insane movement, but it doesn't mean insane movement when you're talking about uh, a pitch that is so high that you would probably get arrested for driving that fast. The question mark with Joyce is what else he can do because the breaking ball, it certainly plays in college because you have to cheat so much. Like <laughs> if you just throw a mediocre slider, I talked about this uh, about with Andre Munoz that he doesn't have to have an elite slider because, you know, if you're throwing that hard, the fact that hitters have to be cognizant of that fastball makes it a lot easier for you to miss bats with it. But Andre Munoz has an above average slider. From what I've seen, this is more a 40 grade pitch, maybe a 50 grade pitch, you know, work on that pitch and make it a, a 60 grade offering. Oh my goodness gracious. You're talking about one of the best relievers in baseball. If it's 50, you're still talking about a high leverage pitch, but we're talking about a reliever, pure, pure reliever. Nobody's going to give that a, uh, put that in a starting rotation because it's, it's a lot of effort in the delivery. There are going to be injury risks for anybody who throws that hard. There's injury risks for any pitcher because that's just the way baseball works. Talked about it before that is, uh, any baseball pitcher is doing an unnatural motion unless they're throwing submarine or somewhere close to it. So I'm not like looking to add Ben Joyce when he gets drafted and he'll probably get drafted pretty high because he could be a fast track guy. He'll also be, you know, I'm not saying baseball teams draft for PR, but I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. You tell your team fan base, you just drafted a guy who touched 105.5 miles per hour with his fastball. That's certainly going to be something that your fan base is interested in. But he's basically going to have to be a closer in order to be fantasy relevant. So probably not a guy I'm looking to add. You don't find too many guys that throw 105.5 miles per hour, but at the same time, you can find guys who can put up similar results in deeper dynasty leagues. And I hate to be the party pooper with that stuff because 105.5 miles per hour. I've probably said it a thousand times in this podcast already. Super impressive, but probably not a guy I'm looking to add to a fantasy roster right away. And then real quick with this one, I'm rebuilding and I'm being offered a trade for Mike Trout, who I cannot keep next year. Would you rather have Robert Hassel or Zach Veen and how much more should I ask for? If you can't keep Mike Trout and if you are um, rebuilding, like not playing for this year, I don't think you have to ask for a heck of a lot more than either of those guys. I still go Veen. Robert Hassel has been sensational, hitting over 400, I believe slugging right around 600. Veen got off to a little bit of a rough start, but is starting to see those numbers. I just think Veen is the more complete fantasy player. And again, I love Coors Field. Coors Field is going to be huge for that guy. 
because it takes above average power and makes it closer to plus to plus plus. I like Robert Hassel a lot. If that's the route you want to go, that's fine. He might be the one who reaches the big leagues first. But if you're considering making that trade, and by the way, love Mike Trout, but if you're rebuilding, I would rather get Hassel or Veen now and not have a Trout injury or something along those lines or have him change his mind and not want to offer one of those two guys. So I would pull the trigger on that. I would go Veen over Hassel. It's relatively close, but he's just the more complete player. Okay, and then closing out, like I said, we're going to talk about the three best prospects for the 2022 season. we got a new name at the top. Number three, though, Adley Rutschman. So Adley Rutschman is finally back from his tricep injury, kind of. He's on a rehab assignment right now. He just got promoted to double A after doing very good things in high A. Probably play a few games in there and then get over to triple A. We've talked ad nauseum about the risk that comes with a rookie catcher, but I think Adley Rutschman is an exception. I think he's going to hit for average. I think he's going to get on base. I think he's going to get his chance to drive in runs for a, a not very good Baltimore team, but just enough, especially if he's sitting in the middle of the order. A must, must have in two catcher leagues and somebody I still think is a catcher one the moment that he gets up. I'm a big fan of Adley Regman. At number two, O'Neill Cruz, and this is getting harder to justify. OPS below 600 right now, only hit the one homer. Again, a lot of AAA players are struggling right now. Can't help but wonder, and I'm not in O'Neill Cruz's head, how much some of this might have to do with motivation. He should have made the Major League roster. This is not an indictment or proof that the Pirates made the right decision. Come on, stop doing that. Stop giving Major League teams the benefit of the doubt with the Stockholm Syndrome stuff that they always know better. I'm not saying that I know better than any of these guys either, but too many talent evaluators have told me, and my eye too, I got to trust my own eye for my own sanity, uh, that O'Neill Cruz has a chance to be a very, very good baseball player. And we saw what he did in spring training. We saw what he did in a limited size with the Pirates last year. So I'm not giving up on O'Neill Cruz. I'm not dropping O'Neill Cruz yet, but the numbers are going to have to get better in order for him to get that call up. And that number one, Nolan Gorbin. I mean, look, I didn't expect this to happen. (laughs) That escalated quickly to quote a a certain movie that uh, a lot of people have enjoyed over the years. But you just look at these numbers, folks. I mean, (laughs) he has hit in 20 games, 20 games, 11 homers. And that's with him going on a cold streak of not homering in the last couple. And that power is legitimate. He's hit 25 homers last year. He has slugged uh, for he slugged 570 in his rookie year. He's never had a problem driving the baseball, just tapping into plus plus power. A much better hit tool than a lot of people give him credit for. Can play second base just fine. It's time to free Nolan Gorman. All due respect to Tommy Edmond, it's time to make Tommy Edmond that Ben Zobris type player where he's playing all over the field. Um, you know, you can have Harrison Bader sit out some games. You can have. Dylan Carlson sit out some games. You have a designated hitter who is not hitting very well. It wouldn't hurt to have Nolan Gorman in the lineup there a couple of times. It's one of the benefits of having the universal DH. It's time to free Nolan Gorman, man, because this is now a waste. It's silly. Uh, Your one concern here is a 30 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio, which isn't ideal. Strikeouts are just going to be something that comes with it. Say it all the time. Take the bitter with the better. 
the moment Nolan Gorman is added to a roster, you need to do it. And I really, really would consider just right adding him right now. Because again, better to be too early than too late. You've got, I guarantee if you're playing in a redraft league, you have got some middling, not so good players on that roster. I'd much rather just have Nolan Gorman sitting on my roster rather than, you know, adding some sort of streaming option or having some backup utility player that you're really not going to put in your lineup. Go get Norlin Gorman now and Cardinals. It's time. It's time, man. Nolan Gorman is ready to play Major League Baseball. The worst thing that happens is he struggles and you send him back down. Oh, well, it's time for Nolan Gorman. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This was a lot of fun. We'll be doing it again next week. Uh, Stay tuned next week for, or excuse me, stay tuned on Tuesday for Drew Silva and Janice Scirio for their Power Rankings episode. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. If you liked what you heard, please rate the show five stars and make sure you hit that subscribe button. So until next time, have a great week and we will see you guys soon.